The Plumley Pot, episode 33. Prepare to lift the lid on all things education, not indoctrination. Your voice of reason for home education. The Plumley Pod. Hello and welcome to The Plumley Pod. I'm your host, Sarah Plumley, And today... I am very excited. I have John William Noble. He's a pastor, he's a father, he's a husband, and he's recently founded his own school. But I'm not going to steal his thunder. I'm here to ask the questions. Welcome, John. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for the invitation. It's a joy to be here. Well, I appreciate it. I know you're a very busy man, especially because what you've just got involved in. And I do know how hard that stuff is. I just wanted to ask you to kick off. When did you realize, and yeah, we've talked a little bit about this already, but when did you realize something was very, very wrong during the past two years? So this is going to be quite a lengthy answer to unpack. It's basically unpacking the history of our church. So I actually moved up with my family in spring of 2019, so about three and a half years ago, to start a church in Aberdeen. And One of the things that I communicated going up here was the importance of churches being founded on what we believe to be true from the word of God and looking to communicate the good news of Jesus Christ. And in the months that followed, we were meeting in a community center in in an area in Aberdeen called Hilton. And it was kind of, I mean, slow but steady progress. And we're encouraged to have a growing core group of people who are meeting. And once we were just about a year into this, we were starting to hear increasing updates from mainly the media and obviously what was being communicated by the government about an escalating situation with a novel virus. And at this point, to be fair, I think everybody was was obviously looking in some ways skeptically, but also unsure. There was certainly uncertainty in some regards. I think the first concern for me, because I was looking at this from a Christian biblical worldview was when I started to hear governments, like for example, the British government and parliament in March 2020, starting to, I mean, they were advising in inverted commas, but it sounded more like telling you to start closing things, including churches. So there was a problem there because even if this was going to be something that was going to be wiping out half of the country, I wanted to communicate to my church fellowship, which at that time was relatively small. We had a membership at that point of about 13, that even though this could be something serious, what the government are doing here is stepping on the toes of what is effectively something that God has instituted for local church leaderships. So it is not the responsibility of the government to tell the church how to worship, defining what worship is, these sorts of things. So at that point, I wasn't assuming that the government were doing something sinister, but I certainly wanted to prepare my congregation by establishing what was biblically clear. Now, the problem we had in that spring period is because we were renting a property, we didn't own our own building because we were obviously a new church at that point we got kicked out of the community center. So we had to do this kind of online thing, which was, well, to be blunt, it was quite farcical in many levels. So, I mean, thankfully, members of the congregation were 
quite clear that, well, this is not worship as is defined in scripture. Just to give a couple of things from the scriptures about this, to worship God corporately as the local church, the Greek word is ecclesia, which means the assembling of the Lord's people, the called out ones. And that's meaning that the church is not defined by the building. The church is not defined by being able to gather remotely or on an online means. It is by physically gathering together. That's what it means for the church to gather. So when we were doing this for a brief period online, we were not worshiping God as a church, as the Bible states. So we were very clear that that was a significant problem. And as the weeks rolled on, I was beginning to become very concerned. The fact that there seemed to be no budging and there was daily COVID updates of how many cases there are, how many deaths and all of these things. Now, for me personally, I mean, from probably very quickly into the beginning of this, I started to kind of look into some of the details of what exactly are the statistics on this thing? And is this what the media are communicating? And I I saw some major inconsistencies. So I could obviously unpack this in major detail. But I mean, personally, as I was speaking with my family, I certainly wasn't buying the way in which this was being communicated by the media. But obviously, leading a church and recognizing that many different people in my congregation may have different views on it, it was important to clarify biblically what we were seeking to do. So by the summertime, we ended up meeting before we were allowed to legally back in our community center. We had a service in the park. Later, we had a service in the beach. Eventually, we also met in, in, in secret, as I'm going to come to. But we were obviously wanting to stress as the alarm bells were ringing across the country that even when the government were beginning to allow, in inverted commas, churches to meet again, we were wanting to communicate that, well, this is something essential. And many churches, even many biblically orthodox and conservative Christian churches, were not seeming to go along those lines because of a fear that people may be unwell with COVID and potentially the risk of spreading it to the elderly and all of these sorts of things that were being communicated. And the thing that was really, really concerning as we got later into the year from the church was that they started to redefine scripture. So for example, one of the well-known things that was being branded around by churches all over the place was love your neighbor means hiding on Zoom and staying away from people. Now, I won't go into much detail because I'm conscious of how much time, but loving your neighbor does not mean staying away from your neighbor. Just to make that abundantly clear, to love your neighbor means you, you need to go to them, to care for them. And as Christians, we would wholeheartedly believe in the need to proclaim the gospel, which is that we are sinners before the living God. And in order to be right with this God, we need to repent of our sins and believe in Christ as our Lord and Savior. And our belief, our foundation is that Christ died on the cross and rose victorious from the grave. So as Christians, we do not have a fear of death because Christ conquered the grave. So the notion that churches would be closed and then eventually, many, many, many months later, open up with sometimes full PPE or demanding PCR tests or eventually it was being vaccinated and all of these things was literally not only inconsistent with what the scriptures teach, but it was quite literally 
an abomination before God in the house of God. That's what we're dealing with here. So by the time we got to November in 2020, I mean, it was clear that, okay, well, the government are taking more than just advantage here. They're actually going into a kind of totalitarian style of ownership. And the media is certainly fueling this in a way that churches had to wake up by now. They had to. So I remember in England, because we're in Scotland, in England, because it started to get political between England and Scotland, it was just getting ridiculous. So England decided they had a specific lockdown where they stopped churches meeting, but Scotland were still allowing churches to meet in November in 2020. So I stood up in front of my congregation then and said in no uncertain terms, if the Scottish government, which I thought they would, announce another lockdown, we will not be locking down, period. And probably people won't be surprised to hear this, that this was not something that many church leaders in the United Kingdom were saying. So a few weeks later, England were allowing churches to meet again, and we get into the new year, 2021, and the Scottish government are announcing that, yeah, we're locking down, and this will mean that churches need to go back to meeting online. So it literally became illegal for churches to gather to worship God. Now, a number of things on this. The first thing for my church was, it is still a challenge for Christians, especially in a Western country like Scotland, where we have been blessed with so much comparable freedom, for example, to worship God. This is something that we see ingrained in law, as I'm going to come to. But it was still quite a challenge for some of the members of the church to reconcile that even though the Scottish government didn't know their own legislation, we were still going to be breaking the law by meeting to worship God. Now, this is what we did. And a small number of the members didn't meet initially. But by the end of this period of time in the springtime of 2021, all of our members were gathering to worship. And I I give praise to God for that. A few other things that took place. So at this point, I mean, I was getting frustrated with what was being communicated by the government and media, certainly, but I was really alarmed also by what the churches were doing. So I spoke with another minister in Scotland. He's called Willie Phillip, who's the minister of the Tron in Glasgow. So he and I basically spoke together and we had an assessment that there's no way this will be two weeks and then you're back meeting. We thought this would be until April and it nearly was. So we wrote a letter to the first minister, Nicola Sturgeon, not that we in any way anticipated that this was going to kind of change anything, but we wanted to make a statement, more so to the churches really. And the response of some of the churches was almost to rebuke us for wanting to stress the essential nature of worshiping God, which is just utterly shocking, to be honest. And as the, yeah, as we soon got into January, a couple of weeks into this, I was keen to do as much as could possibly be done. And I was really encouraged that Christian Concern, so this is an organization that works to support Christian causes in the face of any persecution or difficulties legally or practically in, in the United Kingdom, They were keen to see if there were any church leaders in Scotland who would be willing to raise a legal challenge against the government making it illegal to worship God. Now, a number of the church leaders that inquired about this, well, I think the majority were not meeting in secret at that point. We were, but I was still encouraged at least that there were some with the backbone enough to push this forward. So 27 of us, 27 church leaders in Scotland, now there are thousands of, I mean, some can call themselves churches and that could be questionable, but there are thousands of places, groups of people, gatherings of believers that would call themselves churches. So thousands and thousands of churches, we had 27 
in Scotland who were willing to pursue this. So this was something that gained quite a bit of media attention. There were obviously people in other kind of groups and settings saying, oh, this is not fair. Why should churches get special treatment, etc.? Now, the problem with that is, first of all, legally, we had all of the grounds to take the government to court. I had done enough research of legislation, both Scottish and UK legislation, to see a number of acts that were in place that meant that the freedom to worship God on a UK and even on a European court level meant that the Scottish government really didn't have a leg to stand on. But even still, most churches were complying with it. And the case was so overwhelming that despite how secular, despite how godless, despite how anti-God and anti-religion our government in Scotland are, the kind of court hearing, the judicial review that took place actually ruled in the favor of the churches. And it was a ruling that the government had to allow the churches to open up again. So this was a major victory, even though the legal grounds were there. This was a major victory. It set a precedence because some other countries were trying to challenge on this. And I remember I, I spoke in a few platforms. I was even invited to speak on BBC Radio Scotland and they got a humanist in to, to bring the challenge. And he was saying, it's not fair, it's not fair. I mean, it was like he was wanting to suck his thumb in the corner. And I was like, look, first of all, you need to understand this is not about being fair. This is about what's enshrined in law. Now, people in our land may want to get to a stage of progressive wokeism where we're redefining everything under the sun, but the fact of the matter is we have a Christian heritage, and this is what we were standing on. We were not standing on the strength and boldness of church leaders today, absolutely not. It's utterly pathetic. But historically, we see church leaders, churches that were literally going to war to uphold biblical freedoms in this country. And that was the blessing. So we were successful and legally we were allowed to worship again. So this was a statement being made to the churches. This was a statement being made to the government because it's not just COVID where the government have really been gunning for the church. And we'll come to a few other examples of this later. And for my, my church, we were growing rapidly last year. So before the lockdowns, we had about 20 odd people coming. And as we went through 2021, we started to see 30, 40, 50, 60 people coming and we were outgrowing the rented premises. And by God's grace, we were actually blessed to get the opportunity to buy our own building in the area, which we did at the tail end of last year. Just that this is a, a kind of side note story. It's not really relevant to what we're talking about, but I might as well share this. The day that we actually had our first church service in the building, my wife was pregnant with our third child. And that day she went into labor. And so what ended up transpiring was I dropped my wife off to the hospital. I went to the church service to baptize two believers, preach a sermon, and then to rush to the hospital and watch my daughter being born. Again, by God's grace, I was able to watch that. But somebody did joke that night saying, oh, you must have a pretty free evening. <laughs> It was a quite a busy day. But yeah, another interesting point of that day, actually, and this does connect to what we're talking about. One of the people that was baptized that day was a woman who had come out of the New Age movement. And she'd been really, during the COVID time, she'd built up a network of people who'd been going to different rallies and basically questioning a lot of what was going on with COVID. And we were getting a lot of people going there, coming to our church because we already by this point had the reputation in the northeast of Scotland as being the 
awake church. And I think the key thing with this woman in particular, because I found a lot of people, they were keen to speak about what's wrong and what's lies and all these things. And a lot of it I agreed with. But the thing we wanted to stress is our church, Grace Baptist Church Aberdeen, is not driven primarily and foundationally by what we know not to be true, even though we need that discernment, certainly. It was built on what is true. Our drive against the government, our drive to do all that we'd done up until this point was because we believe in an absolute truth that there is a creator God. He created us for his glory and that man has rebelled against this God. And this woman actually started to come to this conviction. So there was a genuine conviction that even though she was awake about COVID and so on, she was still coming to the conclusion, well, so what? Where does this take me? I might be aware of what's going on with COVID, but what direction am I moving in here? And she started to explore Christianity in quite a bit of depth and the Lord graciously saved her. And it was such a joy to see that. And I would say this for anyone listening, for people who are exploring Christianity, yes, it's very crucial to be meeting with and speaking to church leaders who are teaching the Bible, but being grounded in a local church and being part of that community, being part of that fellowship is something that God has ordained When he created man, he created us in his image and he created us to have relationship with one another. And that's something that during the COVID time was just severed. I mean, it was so ridiculous last year that we had people coming in saying, this is a novelty being able to have a cup of coffee. Just completely ridiculous. I mean, with all of these measures, it was very clear, no, no, we're not enforcing masks. We're not segregating. We're not doing any of that nonsense. It's a complete abhorrent notion that we would actually stipulate and segregate the body of Christ. It's anti-human. And it's ironic that the humanist they dragged in to argue with you on the BBC Radio Scotland (laughs) is is anti-human. Isn't it funny? They call themselves humanists because they're anti-human. It's ridiculous. The whole thing is ridiculous. A couple of things strike me as a layperson. And this is very ignorant, so I apologise. And you probably should set me straight. But Didn't Jesus like cure the lepers? Like leprosy is a much more dangerous disease than even the Black Death, let alone COVID. My words, not yours. But I'm pretty sure Jesus laid his hands on the lepers and and healed them, right? So doesn't that tell us something about segregation within churches, about disease, about we're supposed to love our brothers and sisters regardless, aren't we? And I don't understand that for number one. And I'm a lay person. I have like, you know, eight, nine, ten-year-old Bible study on a Sunday. That's it. That's as far as I got. But I, even I know that, hang on a minute, you can't stop someone coming to a church because they don't have a vaccine or a passport or a te- Hang on a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is nothing to do with <laughs> the gospel. So that strikes me. Also, I love how you say Christians are fearful of not doing the right thing. It's not about dying. I'm not afraid of dying. We're afraid of not having done the right thing. And isn't that a much better way to live, regardless of what you believe or think or feel? Isn't that a human way to live? I want to do the right thing. And finally, one one last little thing. One of the guys who's now a member of my team, he's a parent, husband, really good man. He says to me, um, everyone was an atheist until the devil showed up. And he said, this last two years has been brilliant because evil arrived. Lots of people saw it. And then drew the conclusion that, well, if there's a devil, if there's real evil, and we can see it now, well, the polar opposite must also be true. And is perhaps the increase that you've seen something to do with that? Yeah, I think kind of tying into quite a lot of that, 
I mean, if we actually go back to the beginning of the Bible and we see, as I mentioned, man created perfect in God's image, we then see that the devil appears and he attacks God's design and order of creation, male and female. He attacks the very word of God where he says, and this is very, very apparent to what we see throughout history and what we've seen over the past two or three years. He says, did God really say? Now, often the master manipulator of the evil one comes in, not with outright lies, but with half-truths. And this is exactly the pattern that we've seen over this COVID situation and the patterns of media manipulation since the inception of television and before. And I think we need to be aware of this because I understand the sentiment with regards to evil. I mean, since the fall, we see that evil has existed and it's been exposed in such a blatant way over a situation like the past two or three years. And it's been a joy for me on one level to see it has meant that many people are starting to ask questions. Many people are starting to explore spiritual matters and the potential of the existence of God and such things. I think these are things that everybody should be engaging with. When people are actually questioning, well, what are the values that we stand on? Is it what our government and media are communicating and portraying? Well, I think increasingly more and more people, even though they may not have come to a conviction from the Bible, would certainly be beginning to see, well, surely not. How do we know anything is can be defined and by what standard, by what truth? I mean, this is where when it comes to the example of Christ, yes, he was a good moral teacher and example, but he was demonstrating the example for Christians because he is the son of God. And this is why he was doing what he was doing, because this gives us a very visible picture of the love that we then see being displayed so gloriously when he died on the cross for sinners. So I've said this when I've preached before, the challenge to Christians is Christ suffered and died outside the city gate on a cross at Golgotha not that we as Christians in the West could sit inside in the comfort and warmth. No, we need to go outside and we need to go and love our neighbor and not as a means of self-preservation. I mean, what an utter outrage it is that people would actually use biblical truth and biblical challenges like loving your neighbor to suit themselves. Too many Christians have been living like atheists. That's an utter disgrace. They're not true Christians, are they? It's what they say they are, but they're not. In some cases, it's been exposing it. I mean, it really has. I mean, and this has been the problem. We've now moved in a direction where some of our church gatherings and church buildings today are full of pe- some people who are spiritually immature and they need to grow. And we hope and pray that would be the case. But it's also exposed that some people, some churches, some denominations, they don't believe the Bible. They don't stand on it. That's the reality, sadly. It's a tragedy. And you're right about the last couple of years has been some of the best things that have happened to Christianity in a very long time. I myself have been brought back into the fold. It was a strange moment. I saw the video of Pastor Art Pulowski in Canada throwing what he calls the Gestapo out of his church during Easter, Passover. He was going mental, get out, get out, you Gestapo, you Nazis, get out. Now, he's got a right to say that because of where he's from and his experience. He grew up behind the Iron Curtain. So it's not for me to say, but very much for him to say. But the passion, and he was coming from a place of heart when he threw those goons out of his church. And it struck a chord, it resonated. It got millions of views, millions. And I'm like, what's going on? 
why are these people attacking pastors? Like, what the hell? Like, this isn't, what's going on? Why are people being dragged off the street for preaching the Bible? I have a problem with that. That's their belief. Might be my belief these days, but it doesn't matter whether it is or isn't. That's not illegal. It can't be illegal. How can preaching the word of God be illegal? Especially in somewhere like England and Canada. What is going on? And that's, do you know what? That's where they shot themselves in the foot. That's where real evil really showed up because leave the Christians alone. What are you picking on them for? And they're picking on them because they believe, and I say they because I'm, I don't think I'm good enough to be, I'm I'm doing my best, but but I'm not necessarily distancing myself from Christianity. I'm just trying to present it as even-handedly as I can. But what I didn't understand at the time when I did not say I was a Christian at all is why are they picking on them? And it's to do with the Christians have a higher authority than the state. They believe in a higher authority than the state. And thank God for that. Isn't that ironic? A couple of other things on that in recent months. So actually, last November, one of the other things that I did that got a lot of attention was I spoke in Northern Ireland regarding the vaccine mandates that were coming in there. So I I think it was one of the first times that I think any church leader that I know of, maybe anywhere, actually called churches and church leaders to repent. It was just, I thought, this is why it was just after my daughter had been born, but I just, I was so sure, I was convicted that this is the right time to just call churches out. I came before the people who were in that crowded building and I was repentant for the mistakes that I'd made during this. I mean, we make mistakes, we are, we're sinful beings and we worship a God who is gracious. But this is obviously where the gospel rings true, where we're not coming before God saying, well, yeah, I'm pretty good. You should accept me. No, we're coming as sinners and he forgives us through the blood of Christ. You'd have but to be gracious as- with us lot, wouldn't they? Sorry to interrupt you, but we'd have to be gracious for us lot. We're pretty crap, aren't we? Like, yeah. Well, th- like, this, is, this is exactly why as churches over the last couple of years, I can't understand why there hasn't been a greater degree of humility and a looking back and recognizing, yeah, we really messed up here. We really messed up. I mean, we're now into 2022 and still I was hearing of PCR tests and vaccine divides and people being separated based on masks and no masks and all that. Still, I mean, it was just frightening to consider that these were some of the evangelical conservative churches that I was hearing of this. And even in my own area, it felt like we were on a different track. I mean, this has been the one of the reasons why our church has been quite polarizing, because during this COVID time, many Christians were almost looking at us from the outside and thinking, some were even saying, oh, we're like a cult. And I was thinking, so you see a church that are not seeing everybody separated, masked up, and we're the ones who look like a cult. I mean, it was just, I mean, absurd, the thinking. But nevertheless, in the context of our church, we now have a church membership of nearly 40 people and our building is packed out every week. And it's been a joy to see this and to bring biblical challenge of what it means to be committed to your local church, what it means to reach your local community with the good news of Jesus Christ. And so on this regard, we've seen that the Lord has blessed us as we've sought to be faithful in this time. And we've learned many lessons that I think other churches sadly don't seem to be even wanting to engage in. And I hope and pray this will strengthen us for the battles that we're in and will continue to face. Because COVID was just, I mean, in some ways it was a kind of forerunner, a sort of introduction of what may come, which could well be worse. I mean, we as Christians, we're fighting for glory, which is God's glory. We are to be 
warriors for the sake of the gospel. I mean, you look at the effeminate nature of manhood within too much of the church today. We look at the confusion about what it means to be a biblical woman and churches are just, I mean, it's such an utter mess. And we need to be clear scripturally what it is we're called to be and what it is we're called to do for the advance of God's kingdom. And there needs to be a strength in this. And that's what we seek to be. It's unbelievably inspiring. I take my hat off to you. I've heard a lot about you and the UK column have shared some of your content. And I'm so grateful because the closest thing I had was Pastor Art Pulowski in Canada. And it was only because of the uh, prominence of his video and what happened to him and subsequently the million arrests and days in prison and all the rest of it. Like you're chucking a pastor in jail. What's wrong with you? I don't care what you believe or don't believe. What is wrong with you? He's giving people hope. And if the narrative is we're in time of great distress, the plague is here, the black death is it. I don't believe that for a single second, by the way. I'm a mathematician, so I know that's not what happened. But anyway, and I knew it at the time in March 2020. But even if you believe that, don't we need our churchmen more than ever? Don't we need our spiritual leaders more than ever? The weak and the needy need you guys more than ever. So how can you close this down and justify it? This is not okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's disgusting. It absolutely disgusted me. And it always hurts the weakest, the most needy. Yeah. Pastor Plowski's feeding people who can't feed themselves. He feeds people in the street two, three times a week, whatever. Oh, that's illegal now, right? Cause COVID, whatever. These people are going to die of starvation. What's wrong with you? I literally don't get it. And, and then I did get it. Just one brief testimony of a church in England that was a great encouragement to me. So it's a church in London, the Angel Church. They owned their own building, so they were in more of a position to do this. But during the, the heart of these COVID times, they were going out, they were preparing meals for so many people in an area where there was such desperation. In our area, I had people calling me just in tears when they were announcing more lockdowns and all of this kind of stuff. The damage that this did, the damage of these lockdowns, the nature of what it meant creating a spy state in relationships and so on was crushing, crushing. And the church needed to be awake to this and acting, not hiding. All you have as a human being is your character. You might say soul, spirituality. Let's be secular. Let's say character for a second. Let's be very inclusive. You are only what you are. You only have who you are, what you say, what you think, what you feel. That's it. Everything else can be taken from you. The evil ones can take everything. And if you're not on guard, they can even take your character, your soul, your spirit. In times of crisis, all you have is you and who you are. And do you know who develops that the most? And always has? The church. Whatever you want to call it, spirituality. That is the only thing that really gives one about who you are. It doesn't matter what situation you're in. Never did. What matters is how you behave. And it's in us. It's a design because we basically all agree on what is, when it comes down to it, what's right, what's wrong. The vast majority of people agree. And where does that come from? Well, I don't know, but I know it doesn't come from nowhere. I think you know where it comes from because you're much yeah, more educated I mean, on this than me. I think it's good to notice, for example, human beings, we've got consciences, we've got a sense of what's right and wrong, the kind of good and bad. And also what I would certainly wholeheartedly argue from what we see in scripture, 
we were made in God's image. We were made to be his image bearers. We were made for his glory. And I mean, this is where the hope of the gospel, the hope of Christianity comes in, because when we go out even into the streets and proclaim the gospel, there's a lot of apathy. And some people will come and say that we're nuts, we're crazy. And some people say, oh, this is a negative message because we're saying that human beings are sinners, that you can do no right thing to make yourself right with God. And this is exactly the point where we're proclaiming a message of hope, which is the hope in the work that Christ has done. And this is something that when I think about all of the ways in which I've messed up, all of the wrong decisions I've made, to know that it's not ultimately going to be because of what I've done, but because of what Christ has done. That's something that today, when people are sitting in despair at their circumstances, not knowing their purpose and not knowing who to trust, well, here we have not simply the glorious message of there is a God who is perfect, infinite, and glorious, but that he came to where we are, that we could be where he is by faith in Christ. And this is something that I pray and long to see more and more people knowing and understanding and believing. It's a beautiful message, and that's exactly what we've needed. And particularly in these times, it drives me completely wild that in the moment, in probably the last two centuries, certainly the last one, when the church had an opportunity to stand up and do what it's meant to do, it did the opposite. And with present company accepted, of course. But look at those numbers, 27 out of 1,000, like 3%, 2.7%. It's pathetic. It's pathetic. But it's the remnant as well. And actually, do you know what? That matters. That means something. Another thing that's I'm a bit curious at the moment about words, and I'm a bit skeptical, more skeptical than I was, and convids made me worse. My word, not yours. But it's also made me better as well. But I noticed that conscience is a curious construct. It's the addition of con, fake, phony, deceptive, and science. Isn't that a funny thing? Conscience is defined as an awareness of morality, a sense of right and wrong. And wasn't that funny that that's a con to science? I'm just throwing it out there. I've, I've made it up. I just saw it yesterday. I spoke to my husband about it. He'd not seen it before and no one's shown it to me. I just looked at it the other day and thought, oh, well, that's curious, isn't it? This is a really interesting question when we consider some of the, I mean, we say agendas, but some of the drives of our media today and the basis for truth. It's been fascinating leading up to the, this World Cup in Qatar and everyone talking about the human rights issues in, in, in this. And what's the issue? Well, the issue is the LGBT agenda. And I found it intriguing seeing that the majority of people in our, in our country, they don't have a specific conviction on this. In fact, some people, I think, ultimately think that this is, well, nonsense at best, wicked at worst, but they wouldn't be willing to speak up on it. But when it comes to the definition of morality, it's interesting when you see these social constructs developing that what they're actually trying to do is do away with definitions. That's something that then justifies immoral practices. So for example, as Christians, we would be completely and utterly against the abortion of children with the LGBT indoctrination in schools. This is something that is utterly abhorrent to behold. And yet these are now accepted practices. And if anyone dares to say anything against such things, then you are bigoted, you're transphobic, et cetera, et cetera. This is now where we're at. And it's because 
they're seeking to redefine the moral code and foundation which nations like the United Kingdom have stood on. We stood on biblical values and we're looking to absolutely massacre that right now. And the church surely has to be very clear, not only in establishing what it is we believe in these matters, but pressing forward with them. So am I going to be mealy-mouthed when I stand up in the pulpit and proclaim God's word in these issues? Absolutely not. Even if it means going to jail and dying for my I know faith. you're not. Christians I've seen have you. Done that you're not. The time. Yeah. You do not mince your words, sir. I've seen you. And that's why you're here. Congratulations. Uh, it's you're the Pastor Art Pulowski of Scotland. Like I I wish I'd come across you sooner because I I needed you. I really needed to hear from someone like you. I had to look all the way over there to find anything that's making me go, yeah, hang on a minute. He's taking the fight to them and they're persecuting him. For the Bible? For the Bible? He didn't write it. He's just saying it. Like, Yeah, I think you're proclaiming God's word. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. As somebody who's been indoctrinated by the state, which I'm deeply ashamed of, my logo is education, not indoctrination. And it's ironic because they always accuse religious people of indoctrinating youngsters. And actually it's them. That's what they do. That's what the state does. They never even present the alternate argument. You want to talk about, they always go on about, and I get loads of grief for this, but they always talk about that ridiculous theory that we came from apes, we were a fish, we were amoeba, then we crawled onto the land. And and this is the whole thing that the science is based on. It's literally based on science. The ideology of science, right, exactly. And you're not allowed to hear the alternate argument mm-hmm. about creation. Yeah. Now, I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again. If a rose didn't exist, and I created one, I created that. If I came to you, John William, and said, I've made this, and I made it for you. If you said to me, well, that was lucky, I'd punch you in the nose. Faster or not. It's perfect. It's beautiful. The colors, the scent, the symmetry, everything. Oh, that was an accident. Oh, Darwin, right, really, evolution. I see, they're just amoeba and then accidents and things. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm a mathematician. I'm not completely stupid. There's a curious thing called the prime numbers and they're still a mystery and they'll always be a mystery because it's design, it's God's design. We can't make that leap. We can't figure it out, we never will. We will never figure out prime numbers. We'll keep finding new ones, but we'll never figure out the pattern because it's design. It's not an accident, you fool. You fool. There's certain creatures, and I always pronounce this wrong because I've got a bit of an accent problem, but there's ants. That's the crawly things. There's certain species of ants that would die if they came above ground on the wrong year. They can only come out on prime years. Otherwise, they would be decimated, destroyed, forever gone by their predators. But if they come out on these prime number years, their predators are sated or not available and they live. And nobody's ever been able to... This is Marcus de Sortoy. This is the maths professor from Oxford. It's not me. I'm just a maths teacher. I'm an idiot compared to him. But he sat there talking about these prime numbers and and the effect it has in nature. And I'm going, hmm, well, that doesn't sound very much like an accident to me. Does it to you? The interesting thing when I consider even how Christians have tried to reconcile scientific discovery, aka now scientific fact and inverted commas, 
is that Christians are far too much on the back foot on these things. We're letting science be the foundation where the Bible should be. So if there's something in the Bible that's communicated and the science is contradicting that, then the foundation's clear. There's a problem with the science and not the Bible. So that's where we'd be coming from. Now, when you look at these narratives of all that's come out of science on the Big Bang and evolution and all of these sorts of things and how we've approached science over things like COVID, I mean, we can see that the structures of these things are designed to attack and negate the need for or the very existence of God. That's what this is designed to do. And as Christians, again, well, are we going to be clear on what we know to be true? I certainly would not claim to be a scientist. And there are many things scientifically that I would look to people far more informed than me to kind of give more insight on. But one thing that I think we do need to all be clear on, no matter how scientifically minded we are, is that, yes, we should be dealing with falsifiable facts. There are going to be new discoveries that may be made scientifically, all of these sorts. But no, I mean, we stand on this as the religion. So the notion of God, no, no, we reject that. But when it comes to the science of evolution, well, that's fact. So we'll teach that in our schools. That will be the one of the kind of foundational linchpins for children but it's in not, shaping it's their world. But it's not. What about the missing link? They call it the missing link. We're talking about 200,000 years. Yeah. The missing link. So I'm not very good at this. I'm not a genius. But what I do know is that if you take an ape, the ones that we're supposed to have you know, evolved from, their ribcage is inverted to ours, completely 180. Upside down. Their rib cage is upside down to us. Looking at other forms of so-called evolution, we're talking hundreds of thousands of years. There is not a single skeleton, not one, that even shows a transition. So obviously it's not going to flip overnight. 180 degrees in a night. You're joking. There's not a single skeleton. But this is the science. This is science. The science. Their science. And this thing, they don't even talk about it. There's no discussion about it. And that's the truth. There aren't any skeletons where we're half and half, or the ribcage is rotating or morphing or what you'd expect if it was evolution. Theirs is upside down to ours. And we came from that. And this is fine. And 200,000 years worth of no evidence is also fine. Now, I'm not being funny. I'm not trying to be funny. I'm a mathematics teacher. I'm a bit boring. We're boring people. We just do numbers. They always work so we can prove what we say. But even I'm saying, hang on a minute. I think there's a bit more to this. Look at nature. Look at us. There's a problem here. There's something missing, isn't there? And I think you've got the answer. Hey, well, I mean, what I've come up with is certainly not what the answer is, but in terms of what I believe God has revealed of who he is, yeah, absolutely. Yes. Well, you're the answer. I don't mean you're there here to communicate it to us because we're the lay people. Yes, yes. And your yes. job is to say, actually, yeah, look, do you know what? This is what this means, Yeah. we think, and let's worship and be respectful and let's be grateful. Let's be grateful. Wouldn't that be a novel thing? Bit of gratitude. Yeah, being a preacher of God's word is to, I mean, herald God's word, herald the Bible, and you're claiming that truth. It's not something you add to, not something you take away from, not something you try to make appealing or consumerist friendly. You're proclaiming God's truth. That's what you're called to do as a preacher. In acting, which is a bit crappy compared to what you do, let's face it, we say invent nothing deny nothing. So when we take a play, a text, just the play, the script, invent nothing, deny nothing. We're detectives. We read the words over and over and over and over and try to figure out what they mean. 
in the context of our own character only, of course, the director's jobs, the whole play, but you do your own job, invent nothing, deny nothing. And it strikes me that actually your role is not too dissimilar. You're detectives too, about much more important things than us. We're doing that with a, what do you got a soap version of what you guys do. We're doing the easy to digest, you know, jazz hands thing. But you guys invent nothing, deny nothing. And that was the hardest part for me of the last two years because there's plenty of people denying stuff, denying the Bible and inventing things. Oh, it's neighborly to not see a neighbor, see them as a disease vector and say the hell away from them. Oh, really? Well, I'm not very good at the Bible yet, working on that. I read it myself because I don't trust anyone else to tell me. Present company accepted. But (laughs) there's a problem here, isn't there? There's something really not right here, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, when you think about the calling of being a church leader. So the Bible teaches that a church leader is a shepherd, so they're responsible for their flock. When I literally, last year, bumped into another church leader in my city, a shepherd of the flock, and he's saying, oh, it's quite interesting that nowadays in churches, we don't know where about a third of our congregation are. And if you consider the imagery of a shepherd with his flock, if one of your sheep, is starting to go astray. You, as the shepherd, go and find that sheep. You have a responsibility, a calling from God. You're accountable before the living God to provide for those sheep based on what God's word proclaims. So we've lost sight of so much of what is clear in scripture. Because I, I, I understand some people say, oh, well, they come out with phrases like, I love Jesus, but not the church. Now, the, the reason why I understand that statement wrong as it is is because the church as an established kind of body as it has been in many ways has dropped their eye off the scriptures, they've dropped the ball on what it means to be biblical. But that doesn't mean that the church is actually a problem. Biblically, the church is Christ's bride. The problem has been sometimes wolves in sheep clothing and charlatans taking over and, and these sorts of things. But the biblical clarity of what it means to shepherd your flock is how a church should function. And this is what I hope and pray for many, 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 many Christians from literally around the world who have contacted me desperately in need of shepherding. And I've had to say, I'm a local church pastor in Aberdeen. And it's just so sad that there are many circumstances, situations where I've been speaking with people, similar testimony after similar testimony, where they've gone to a church building or they've sought to go to their church family. The doors have been closed. The pastors don't want to know. They're enforcing vax mandates, PCR tests, masks, and they're not willing to engage with the biblical reasons why. And it's tragic. It's tragic that this is where we're at. But at the same time, I hope and pray that many people who are exploring and looking to study the Bible will find and become part of like church gatherings and by God's grace, if they come to saving faith, will be added to local churches and be fed and shepherded by shepherds called according to God's word. This is what I pray we'll see more of in the months and years to come. They're the only real shepherds, aren't they? They're the only real ones. Do you know what? You've got me back. Well done. Nothing special, but you've got me back. And isn't it many are called? You were chosen. It's not just the sheep, is it? It's the shepherds too. Many of you are called and few of you are chosen. And actually, I think what the last couple of years has really done has drawn the remnant back to the very best, the very best shepherds, the best pastors, reverends, whatever the names are. 
you're speaking the truth and so you're getting the right people now. The remnant are a awkward lot. They're unique, they're individuals, they're belligerent, they're difficult. Uh, read Isaiah, Isaiah's job, right? It's a tough job. Yeah. Give it to them, give it to them good and keep giving it to them. Yeah. And that's what this has done. This has actually helped us. I know it's horrible, it's painful, and it's personally devastating, not for you professionally too, because this is your life. This is not just your life, it's your profession too. It's a whole thing. But the right people are now coming together and banding together, and we're listening to the right people like yourself. And there aren't many of you, but that's okay, because we only need a few people, a few bright lights telling the truth. And the real people will listen and go, hang on a minute. Uh, what did he say again? I might need to listen to that. I'm literally reading my Bible daily. I've never done it. I was at Sunday school for a lot of years. My grandma used to take me. And I went missing. I went missing for quite a long time. And most of that was to do with school, the indoctrination in schools. They laugh at it and they sneer at belief, like it's anti-science or something. And it's so ignorant and it's so unbalanced. And it can't be an accident for me. And maybe you can set me straight on this, but... I have to say that what I've witnessed in schools as a student and as a teacher, that is the liberal indoctrination. And that's what they accuse religious people of doing. But they're doing it. They're not telling both sides of the story. They're not even giving you a chance. Am I a bit over the mark? Or what do you think? Well, I mean, so the, the, this obviously ties into the massive topic of Christian education. Uh, I mean, one thing that's been interesting to observe, and I've picked this up more as the years have gone on, and it really ties into this testimony that you're sharing. This mindset of some Christians increasingly, oh, I'll leave my children to make their own decisions, this kind of mindset. Now, problem obviously here is there are clear commands in in the Word of God as to how children are to be raised. So that's something that I can mention a bit more about shortly. But if you're leaving, leaving children to be, to kind of make their own decisions, what we have to quickly question here right from the beginning is, well, as they're turning two, three, four, five, how are they being educated? On what foundation? What's the moral moral code? What's the moral compass? Now, one thing I would say very clearly, uh, and I, I would say unashamedly and very boldly is, not just in our secular world in a country like Scotland, but many Christians, some of whom almost willingly, but certainly many without realizing it, are handing their children over to Moloch, which is the God small g of sacrifice of children, because we are willingly handing our children over to the state. And the state has got very wicked, sinister, and in many ways, satanic indoctrination methods that are very much now in play in a manner that are so explicit. It didn't happen overnight. So even decades leading up to this, the attacks on some of the foundations of God's word were there. And we as the church have willingly let it happen. And as I've been preaching about recently, the church has lost its voice because there was no biblical clarity in proclaiming the truth of how children are to be raised. And now it's so offensive. The notion of biblical motherhood, the notion of raising your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, these are things that we have completely and utterly neglected. And this is what I've been desperately, desperately seeking to proclaim in any way, capacity, shape or form. And this is just the very beginning of a massive mountain that needs to be climbed. Well, even Dr. Jordan Peterson has recently had this epiphany. He's been brewing for a long time. It must be interesting to someone like yourself. 
because he's been dancing with the prospects of and the possibility of Christianity. And he's, he's, mm, he comes at this from a psychological perspective and lots of people have opinions about him, whatever. I take him at his word. I've read his book. I've read two of his three books. I've got the third one that's on my list this Christmas and I listen to what he has to say. Not what people say about him, not what people proclaim. I listen to him because you know what? What does Jesus say when they slate him? That's what they say. That's what you say. That's what they say. No, he wants you to listen to him in his own words and you choose. And that's what's beautiful. I love that bit. I really love that bit. But even Dr. Peterson has been saying, there's a problem here. <laughs> even he's creaking and he's wrestling with it. He's, I think he's finally come out as a Christian eventually. I think it was the worst kept secret ever. But he's taken his time because he doesn't think he's good enough. He doesn't believe he's good enough. And I know how that feels. But he can see that at the very least, the Bible's a blueprint for a good life, how to live a good life. It's a life is tough. We're here to suffer. Bear your cross and do what's right because it's the right thing to do. And it will be hard and it won't be fun and there won't be a medal. You won't get medals. You won't get badges. You won't get... It's tough, but you've got to do the right thing. It's interesting, actually, the challenge that I've raised with parents right now. So, I mean, if I can share just a little bit with regards to our school. So one of the problems when when you're dealing with startups, when you're dealing with raising your head above the parapet, is that most people just have no, no interest or desire to do this. And another thing is this point that you made just about the counting the cost. Now, when it comes to being a disciple of Jesus Christ, this is recognizing that Christ calls us as sinful beings to deny ourselves, deny the, the sinful fleshly being that's rebelled against God. So this is what dies with Christ as we come to saving faith. We are then called to take up our cross and follow him. That means there's cost involved. So when it comes to a topic such as education right now, we know the trajectory that we're in. We know what it means to be seen to be doing something different. I know what has been communicated about me by many people on social media platforms who've never spoken to me, but I make assumptions about what I am like as a man, as a husband, as a father, feeling sorry for my kids, all of these types of things. And yet I've sought to press on to establish this school. We've home educated our children. It would be inconceivable to even contemplate that we would send our children into a state education context. And I think one of the things that, well, some of the criticisms or, or concerns that some Christian parents raise, they, they raise things like, oh, well, how, how will your children socialize and all of these things? Will they not be a bit weird and all this type of stuff? So one of the key foundations that I, I, I try to establish when I hear this, well, nonsense for want of a better word, is yes, we do recognize that as children are being raised, according to God's word, in the fear and in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, that there is going to be an exposure to some of the wickedness in the, this world as they're growing up. But the key premise that we must establish as Christians is we are not going to hand our children over that these wicked foundations will be the authority over them. So what people are saying, when they try to justify their children being in state education, being told age four that their gender is fluid and they don't need to tell their parents, et cetera, et cetera, literally the case in Scotland, I might add, is that, well, at least our children can socialize. 
and at least our children won't be weird. I mean, you, know, you kind of think of this, hang on a socialize second, Socialise with foundation. what? Socialise with what? The devil? Yeah, well, this, this is exactly well, what the, are you the, doing? The, very, the very foundation, Sorry. the very nature of these relationships that we're, we're, we're talking about here is the very thing that we're called to raise our children out from. Ephesians 6, 4 in the Bible says, when it says raising your children, that the term is take out from. That's what the word means in Greek. We are to take them out from this culture. So it's dealing with a message that comes from the world that contradicts the very instructions given by God for how we are to raise our children. We are to shape and fashion based on God's word and raise our children with a biblical worldview. Now, as a church, we would be very clear, parents cannot save their children. Only God saves children. Only God can regenerate sinful fallen beings. We're spiritually dead. We need the spirit of God to breathe new life into us. So if, this is where the whole conversion therapy thing, which by the way, is a really sinister agenda in our country at the moment. This is why this notion is absurd to suggest that we are saying that we can physically make somebody become something else. Only God does that. And yet the very contradiction is that our media, our schools are trying their level best to try to convert people into this way of thinking, which is progressive wokeism, liberalism, and every wicked agenda that we can see from all angles now. This is where we're at. And and the church is still, by and large, looking at Christian education and, and just, well, I'm not sure, looking at home educating and still thinking it's a bit weird. It's ridiculous. And they're not the church. So they're not the church. In our church, I mean, this has been something that we've just looked to establish with families who've come in, just teaching these things clearly. And, and we know that, like, we've had homeschooling families who've come in and they've said, oh yeah, in other churches, that we've been the we've been the minority or we've been the only ones and people have, have actually discouraged us from within the church to home educate. I mean, this is coming from the church. It's coming from the church. No, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's coming from the fraudsters. It's coming from the shills. They're not the church. They might have a badge. They might have a building. They might have loads of robes and really, they might have a really nice hat, but they're not the church. I mean, well, you're the church. The real people are the church. When you look at the way that professing Christians and churches are communicating, when you reconcile biblical truth, you come before the Lord in repentance. Because if you, if you live in rebellion against God's word in these areas, then that, that is the case. It is not the church of Jesus Christ. That's sadly the reality. On education, this is one of the big fights. It really is one of the big fights. I mean, uh, just a brief testimony with regards to my son, uh, but before leading into uh, the, the Christian school, he started uh, being home educated. Um, I mean, my wife uh, set up a, a very, very good and biblically grounded curriculum. He started age three, literally not being able to speak. He's now age five and a half. He's able to look up and read passages of scripture. His general knowledge has developed, his, his numeracy skills. I mean, we've just seen so much development academically. And he's been, been shaped with an understanding of a worldview based on God's word. That there, there is a clear kind of moral compass in that. And also clearly articulating what the gospel is. And now with this Christian school being established, uh, I mean, as much as we were wholeheartedly endorsing and supporting and wanting to encourage families to be home educating, we also want the option of Christian schools to be available in countries like Scotland. This is why establishing the school in Aberdeen and elsewhere, and we had dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of prospective parents 
who were saying, yes, I want to enroll my children. Yes, I'd be keen on this. Yes, I want to hear more. We started the school this month in November. We have two pupils enrolled in this school. One of them is my son. That's the reality. That's where we are. And, and, and what do some Christian parents say to people in my church? Oh, only two. Ooh, ooh. Looking down their noses as if, oh, that, that sounds, and, and almost looking sympathetically. And the, the, like, one of the things that the framework of mindset here is so alarming. Some parents look at maybe, for example, my son being there. Oh, that's a shame. Only two pupils. I think it really is not a shame for me. We were happy home educating our children. We we're very happy to see the school being established. This is an indictment against the state of Christian families and churches' attitudes towards this thing. This is something that even if our church, um, even if our school rather, grows significantly very quickly, we need to remember right now, at the grassroots, people were not willing or felt able to commit. That's where we are spiritually. And that is something that we need to come lamenting the circumstances and many need to come repenting before the living God. See, this is why you're a pastor and I'm a maths teacher. You're way open and helping even the people who just can't even be helped. The low numbers at your school, that's okay, they're the remnant. And the more remnant will come. It will be small, but it will be the best of the best of the best. We can't save everybody. Well, that's what I've read in the Bible anyway. As I understand it, that's how this works. Many are called, few are chosen. And plenty of people are not even called, right? We can see that. The ones with the blue hair, we can see that and the rest. But it's a wonderful thing. You have this provision. And I'm a champion of it. I don't like schools because I have a thing about schooling. So my understanding is that you can either be educated or schooled. And those things are mutually exclusive. It depends who's doing the schooling. But the state gets its power from schooling. The people gets its power from education, real education. And that's what you're doing. That's what you set up. And it'll, they will come. Well, there was it. Build the vessel and they will come. I shouldn't say that to you, but that's the essence of my understand, my layperson's understanding of the Bible. And you've built it and it's, that is a massive achievement. Congratulations. And it will come. And your school will be full of the best people, the best people with the best parents, the people doing the real work, right? And isn't that what it's all about? It's actually been interesting in the lead up to this school, hearing the testimonies of two or three parents who have come from difficult situations, expressing their horror at the situations their children have faced. I mean, I, I need to maintain the, the kind of anonymous nature of this, so I'll keep this relatively vague. But one, one child uh, basically being bullied and the, the, the school saying, well, what can we do about it? Because we don't do discipline anymore in schools in Scotland. Uh, this is not, uh, the, the problem is I'm That's not true. even exaggerating. I'm not even exaggerating. Um, another example, uh, the enforcement of sex education in primary schools. Obviously, the the, the gender decision making and the, the the celebrations of LGBT related matters every other week. It seems like I mean this stuff is is enshrined, ingrained as a foundation in state education curriculum from nursery age. I'm going to that, be crude, that's where we are. and I shouldn't. When you say LGBT, meh, 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 we're talking sodomy, aren't we? Isn't that where it starts? It's uh, so. And doesn't the Bible say some quite serious things about that? And I'm not being funny. No, no, I'm no, not no, educated yeah, like you're, you. You're right. The, this is, I just read it. I just read what it says. 
it's sexual perversion. This that that's what it is. I've, I I mean I've I've made it abundantly clear. This is sexual. But I mean, people just kind of believe the words I would use. I would say abortion is murder. I would say that LGBT is sexual perversion. People think, whoa, whoa those are shocking terms. These are not terms that I'm coming up with. This no, is what not. we see in God's word. And we, we need to Listen be Listen to clear. the people who've been performing abortions for 20, 30 years and have now come out and said, you know what, you need to know what this is like. Yeah. Because they're haunted. Yeah. And that's a horrible word. And I don't use it lightly. These physicians are haunted by what they've done, and they're now telling the truth. If, if you consider, consider what children are being exposed to, it's just absolutely horrifying. Many of whom are being cut out Sick. of the womb before they're born, or they're being subjected to this brand of state education. We consider even the, the agenda to vaccinate children age five, sometimes younger. All of these things that have been just sweeping through countries like the United Kingdom is just, I mean, we're, we're handing our children over to the, the, some of the most vilest evil that we see. And th this, is, this is where, when we consider, I mean, I am thankful that in Aberdeen, as well as establishing this school, one of the positive things is that my wife was part of a, a homeschooling network. And there, there, there is quite a decent sized group of homeschooling moms and children who are, who are being educated. They're very encouraging to see that. Very encouraging. Home education, not homeschooling. You can be schooled or educators. Schoolings are the state, educations are the rest of us. <laughs> I mean, this this is where this is where if you consider like the definition of terminology, even when when somebody says, "Well, what do you mean by education?" When we're talking about Christianity, it it's not simply teaching like kind of, for example, literacy and numeracy, this type of thing. It it it's teaching a, a moral value and shaping a, a worldview based on what we know to be true, which is in the scriptures. I think, I mean, I can understand the, the kind of pushback on the term school because of what it's become as a definition. Uh, I mean, without a doubt, because this is actually a product of this wicked indoctrination foundation that we see. They've stolen it and ruined it. It's uh, 1984. They've stolen language. They've, uh, what do you call it? They've commandeered language. They've, it's appropriation. It's appropriation of language. They've changed what it should mean. And it's everywhere. It's evil. And the, the rainbow, I should ask you first. Yeah, God, God, God's covenant promise with Noah. And yet we've seen those colors, that flag become a parade for... Sodomy. Yes. I'll say it. You can't. You're the good guy. You have to do your thing. I'll say it. That's what it is. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. We, we, we see this very clearly in instances in the Old Testament. And that is exactly what that is. I am stunned. I can't believe they stole that. An ark in Ciel, an ark in the sky. They stole the rainbow. The evil ones have stolen the rainbow and they've made it their thing. And it's the absolute inversion of everything that's human, that's truly human. One, one thing that as, as Christians, this is something I, I, I definitely should say before finishing is that we as Christians believe today that Christ reigns, that he's seated on the throne. So no matter what the, the, the enemy tries to throw at us, no matter how bad it may get, we know that Christ will return. He will return with a sort of judgment against those who have rebelled against God, but he will call his children home. So we are standing as Christians on the right side of victory today. I believe that. And the nasty part of me can't wait for the justice side, for those who've done what they have done. And that's the nasty part of me. And I'm not proud of that. 
but it's been hard to witness the evil unto children, the evil done to children, especially over the last two years, masking children in classrooms, making them stay away from their friends. I've had some huge problems with that. This is actually where, again, going to the cross, where the judgment that we deserve to face is actually what Christ faced on the cross for us. This is why grace is such a beautiful word, because this is how we can be freely forgiven. Uh, I mean, this is such a beautiful message. It's why, as Christians, we should be driven by a love for our Savior and a love for our neighbor. Beautifully said. Thank you very much indeed. Pastor John William, where can my people find you and find more about you and your wonderful school? Okay, so a number of things I, I guess I could plug at this point. So, uh, so I'm obviously the the, the pa- this will make you realise why I'm quite busy. So I'm the, I'm the pastor of Grace Baptist Church Aberdeen. So you could check our website graceaberdeen.org, and uh, we've got our, our sermons on sermonaudio.com. Uh, I'm the one of the directors of the the board of Reformed Christian Education in Scotland. So you can find the the, the kind of network of these Christians, I know you don't like this phrase, schools. Uh, so it's melvillenox.org.uk. Uh, and then there's the school that's been set up in Aberdeen. So melvillenox.aberdeen.org.uk. Uh, uh, and I'm the, I've obviously founded this school. I'm one of the directors of the school in Aberdeen. Uh, I'm also actually a director of a, a Christian publisher that was established just to seek to get biblically grounded content released. So that's called parousiabooks.org. So it's been a busy period since I've, I've come up to Aberdeen and it's been a, a joy and humbling to be used by the Lord in whatever small or bigger capacity. And I hope and pray that many others will continue to seek to, to serve the Lord faithfully and joyfully as we press forward for the advance of his kingdom. Well, I couldn't think of a better advert than that your legacy, everything you've already done, let alone what you go on to do. And I believe the best is to come. And thank you for your service. And thank you very much indeed for your time. I I know how much of a premium this has been this afternoon. And I do appreciate you coming on to talk to us. But your word is really important. Your message is important. And you're doing it in the real world with the real people. And my goodness me, that's enough, isn't it? It surely is enough. And you're a great example particularly to somebody like myself. So thank you very much. You've been an inspiration and I'm very grateful for all the work you've done and I can't wait to see the next bit. Oh, thanks so much for inviting me. I really appreciate it. I've enjoyed the time. My pleasure indeed. Ladies and gentlemen, there you go. That was Pastor John William Noble and all of his links will be in the description as ever. And like I say, your children can either be educated or schooled and those things are mutually exclusive. Take back your individual sovereignty and that of your family. Visit sarahplumley.substack.com and subscribe for free to stay up to speed with all things education, not indoctrination.